And while the children are going, would you please, whether you are here physically this morning or whether you're watching on live stream, please take your Bibles with me and turn to Isaiah chapter 12. And by the way, for those on live stream, we want you to know we miss you. Uh, we know you're there. We feel you. Um, thank you for your faithfulness and joining us week by week. Isaiah chapter 12. Have that open before you. So who would have known at the beginning of this year that this year of 2020 was going to be like it has been? I mean, I sure didn't. Go back in your mind to January. Yes, we were in the middle of a Wisconsin winter, but at that point, we'd never heard the words coronavirus. We had no idea at that point the disruption that it would bring to just about every area of our lives. We had never heard the name George Floyd or Jacob Blake we did know there was an election coming, but how could we have known that it was going to be such a contested and contentious and at times ugly election season? I mean, we came into 2020 kind of poised for what we all assumed would be another fairly regular year, and then March came. And it seemed like in roughly two-month intervals, after that, some new difficult and unsettling thing happened. You know, every once in a while, my wife will say things to me that I feel like I should pay particular attention to. I do my best to pay attention whenever Beverly is speaking to me. Uh, but there are times when she says something that seems to have particular weight to it. And that happened a couple months ago. She sent me an email. Let me assure you that that's not our usual form of communication. <laughs> but she wanted to say something to me, and so she took the time to put her thoughts on paper, and here's what she wrote. Your sermon from January 12th, 2020, Anniversary Sunday, was so timely and helpful. Trust in God and do not be afraid, and then the four promises to remember. I just reread it myself. It lingers in my mind. And then she says this perhaps it might be worth a reposting or highlighting for people to go to and listen again. It might encourage people to see how God prepared us for this particularly challenging 2020. And she says, just a thought. And then she says, You are by far my favorite pastor. <laughs> I love you. Joni. Now, don't let that throw you. That's her middle name, and it's one of my favorite things to call her. So if you have a good memory, you might recall I preached a message on Anniversary Sunday, January 12th, entitled, Trust God and Do Not Be Afraid. I preached that message, and you listened to that message, none of us knowing at that point what 2020 was going to be like. Now, I recognize 2020 isn't over yet, but I want very intentionally for that 
message. And by that message, I don't mean my sermon. I mean this message from God's Word. I want it to frame this year. I want us to hear this message again, loud and clear. So I'm going to do something this morning I don't think I've ever done before. I'm going to preach this message again very much like I did in January. I want to remind us of these things that remain true. And I'm trusting that God will use this again this morning to speak to us and fortify us. But before I do... Let me just say a word about the outcome of this past week, and let me be very concrete. Some of us are happy with the results of last week's election. Some of us might be disappointed, maybe even a little anxious. Some of us might feel relatively unaffected. But I just want to remind us of what I said last week. As Christians, as believers, we have every reason to be okay, at peace. There are reasons for us to be okay. So let's continue to faithfully live as God has called us to live and do what he's called us to do. We've prayed over our years as a church. We've prayed for President Bush. We have prayed for President Obama. We have prayed for President Trump. And we will now pray for soon-to-be President Joe Biden. Going forward, we will continue to seek to be kind in our convictions and gracious in our speech. And we will remain firm in our faith that, and I quote, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And my prayer is that that kind of living will set us apart in the world as happy followers of Jesus. All right, let me now read Isaiah chapter 12. You follow along. This is God's word. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would help me to preach rightly out of love for you and out of love for your word and out of love for this people. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to hear rightly out of love for you and love for your word and love for one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
One of the things that God's Word calls us to as Christians, perhaps the main thing, is to trust God. Living our lives day by day, actually, actively trusting God such that we can live without anxiety or fear no matter what goes on in the world. And I ask you, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound right? I mean, given who he is and given the things that he's told us, we can trust him and not be afraid in this coming year. And that truth, that call to trust and to not be afraid is found throughout Scripture. Some time ago, you might remember this, I asked you if you knew what the single most frequently repeated phrase in all of Scripture was. I'd actually asked that question a number of times before just with conversation with people, and the most common wrong answer that I got was the phrase, fear not. And the reason why that was the most common wrong answer is because it's pretty close to being the right answer. That phrase, fear not, appears over and over again in the Bible. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, I am the one who helps you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Fear not, are you not more valuable than many sparrows? I mean, it's very clear that God does not want his children living in fear. And we need to realize there's a connection between that truth and what is the right answer to my question. The phrase, Fear not is so common, God can say it so often because of something he says even more often. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Because that is true, God can say to us, don't be afraid. Fear not. So you hear this wonderful truth of Scripture. Trust God and do not be afraid. That's what we see here in Isaiah chapter 12. And I thought it would be good, a good thing for us to hear that at the beginning and now near the end of this year. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 12. It's a beautiful chapter, but let's make sure we understand the context here. In chapter 11, Isaiah is prophetically describing the coming day of the Lord. When his promised one will set up a government of righteousness and justice and peace. So he's talking about that future day. And notice again how chapter 12 starts. You will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. But even though this is talking about that future day, the fact is this is the way of God with his people throughout history. In fact, I want you to see something very significant here. Look back up at chapter 11, verse 15. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across it in sandals. Does that, does that make you think of anything? So keep your, your finger here in Isaiah chapter 12, and flip back for just a moment to Exodus chapter 15. This is right after the Exodus, right after God has made a way through the Red Sea so that the people could walk through on dry ground in their sandals. Look at Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, 
I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Now go back to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The exact same words. There, back in Exodus chapter 15, that's God's salvation past here in Isaiah chapter 12. It's God's salvation future. This is how God is with his people all throughout history. He is a rescuing, saving God, and this is exactly how he has been for us through Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we can say just as much, just as truthfully, just as joyfully, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. And that leads us right into verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. What is that? This wells of salvation. Well, in his providing salvation, God has opened up an inexhaustible supply of refreshment, of provision, an ongoing, ever-fresh supply. It's actually himself. God is my salvation. God is my strength. God is my song. And God is inexhaustible. He, he gives himself, and the supply never runs out. He pours out blessing, and from his fullness, we all receive grace upon grace, springs of living water, as Jesus said. And the form that that comes in, at least one of the major forms it comes in, is his ongoing faithfulness to his promises. Please notice verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. Trust what? I mean, what, what do you trust? Well, you trust someone to do what they say they will do. And you trust them because of something they've already done. You don't just trust on the basis of nothing. I mean, I suppose you could, but that's not how we usually work. You trust because someone has given you some reason to trust. And God has given us great reason to trust him. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I mean, you trust the, the second part of that verse because of the first part of that verse, because of what God has already done. He's shown himself to be trustworthy. You see, there is a reason for us to trust and not be afraid. So here's what I want to do on this Sunday at the beginning. And now near the end of 2020, I want us to look at four promises from God. Things he's said he'll do that he wants us to trust in, these are not randomly chosen. I chose these for a reason, but they are representative of hundreds more. God has made many promises. Peter speaks of them as his very great and precious promises. And the Apostle Paul says, no matter how many promises God has made, clearly suggesting there's a lot of them, they are all yes in Christ. So if you are in Christ, these are for you. If you are not in Christ, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But if you are in Christ, these are for you. So four promises. I'm just going to touch each one briefly, 
but four promises that God is giving us to actively trust so that we can live actually trusting God and not afraid. So promise number one for 2020 is found in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Here's what it says. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God promises to be with me all the time. All the time. No matter what situation you are in, you're in a meeting at work. He's with you there. You just hung up the phone after a hard conversation. He's with you there. You're in the doctor's office waiting some result. He's with you. You're driving down the road just feeling as free as a bird. He's with you. You're lying in bed at night and you cannot fall asleep. He's with you. You're lying in bed at night and you're sound asleep. He's with you. You're in the hospital room holding your brand new son or brand new daughter. He's with you. You're sitting at the funeral of your mom and dad. He's with you. You just came through a presidential election. He's with you. I love how David captures this very point in Psalm 139. Listen to what he says. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. What, what comfort God means for us to feel from this promise. Even in the most challenging of times, I mean, later in the book of Isaiah, we read God say, Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the fire, I am with you. Do you remember what David says in that much-loved psalm, Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. So Christian, as you go into this new year, one thing you can count on, you are never alone. God is with you. He has promised you that. God is with me, so I will not be afraid. Second, promise number two for 2020. It's found in Psalm 56, verse 9. David says very simply, This I know, that God is for me. Promise number one, God is with me all the time. Promise number two, God is for me all the time. Now again, the context is important here. David, who wrote this psalm, he's in a terrible situation. There are troubles in his kingdom. There are troubles in his home. He's had to flee. Just listen to this. This is Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long and attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? All day long they injure my cause. 
All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? David is resting on this truth about God. God is for me. He will so act and so control whatever happens in my life so as to secure my ultimate good. You know, there are many people, Christians, many Christians who are guilty of misunderstanding what it means that God is for them. They think, well, if God is for me, then everything must go well for me. Nothing bad will ever happen to me, otherwise God is not for me, God's not good. And when God doesn't cooperate with our bad theology, and my prayers aren't getting answered how I'd like them to be, and it's not clear why what's happening in my life is happening, we can sometimes find ourselves saying, well, pfft, so much for that promise. That promise isn't true, forgetting that there may be other explanations for how things are going, the hardships and the challenges. Listen, God did not say he would spare you from the fire and the flood. He said he'll be with you in the fire and the flood. And Jesus said, you will have trouble in this world. But that fact, friends, does not undo this promise. God's promise to be for us always has the end in mind. So if we're sinning, he's not just going to let us go. He'll discipline us for our good. And if we need refining, he's not just going to leave us as we are. He'll prune us. He'll shape us and he'll refine us like gold. And he will make everything work for the good of those who love him. So, Christian, as you walk through 2020 and face hard things, even as you will experience good things, rest in this, trust in this. God is for me, so I will not be afraid. Third, promise number three for 2020 is found in Romans chapter 8 verse 32. Romans 8 may be the most promise-laden chapter in the entire Bible. If you, for some reason, strangely are banished to some deserted island and you only have time to rip one page out of your Bible, make sure it's the page that has Romans 8 on it. I mean, listen to this incredible promise. This is Romans 8, verse 32. I've already quoted it this morning. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I mean, I simply could not preach on trusting God without somehow including that verse. Promise number one, Hebrews 13, 5, God is with me. Promise number two, Psalm 56, 9, God is for me. Promise number three, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, God will supply everything that I need. It reminds me so much of another promise, very similar to this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. 
Everything I need to live the life that God has called me to live, he will supply. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That is a verse that I regularly, consciously, actively trust in. Now notice, as it stands, Romans 8.32 is in the form of a question. How will he not also? There's a question mark in your Bible at the end of that verse, but when you read it rightly, when you hear it rightly, you can see clearly that it's not raising a question. It's making an assertion. In fact, it's making a promise. And to feel the full weight of that promise, we need to understand the logic of Paul's argument. He's saying, if God did this really hard thing, well, he certainly can do these easy things. If he did for you this thing that cost him so much, certainly he can and will do these things which are not much cost to him at all. Paul is saying, God, giving his son for you, purchasing your life in this way, should leave no doubt about his desire and his ability to provide for your needs, like help in the face of temptation like real forgiveness when you fall, and not just forgiveness, but the assurance of forgiveness, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, encouragement from other believers, instruction from His Word on how to live, answers to your prayers, the presence and empowering of the Holy Spirit, direct help in your time of need, strength when you ask for it, wisdom when you ask for it, everything you need, how will He not graciously give us all these things? Listen, one, once we understand our daily life, I mean, just our ordinary daily life puts us in such need. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming. Sometimes it's just normal, but we have needs. And so we need to learn to trust that God will supply, he will provide, and therefore, I do not need to be afraid. All right, fourth, promise number four. 42020. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul's talking about God, and he says, Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So promise number one. God is with you. Promise number two, God is for you. Promise number three, God will supply everything you need. Now, promise number four, God will sustain you all the way through and all will be well. You know, as you read your Bible, you will notice the Bible loves to talk about something coming. A day that is coming that will usher us into eternity. And when it speaks about this life here, which it does, it always has that life in mind. The Bible wants us to be prepared for that life so that this life can be seen as preparation for eternity. And it regularly reminds us that our lives, our histories are moving toward that great culminating day when all people, every one of us, will stand before God and God will pronounce for each and every person a verdict regarding their eternal destiny. And the question, that faces every person now is, what will God say on that day concerning me? Will it be, welcome home, come on in, 
enter into that which your heart has been longing for? Or will it be, no, depart, you have no place here because you rejected my offer of salvation through my son. Listen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And to all who received Christ, who believed on his name, they became children of God. Do you see the equation? Believing plus receiving equals becoming. And as a result, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We belong to God. He says, I've redeemed you, and you are mine. And now, he says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, it might help us to remember this morning which church it is that Paul's writing to here. It's the church in Corinth, which was far from perfect, filled with issues, filled with things that Paul needed to address. I mean, you talk about immaturity and dysfunctionality and just outright sin in a church. Their current behavior is anything but guiltless. How can Paul say this? Well, he's very clear about the source of his confidence. Verse 9, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What a promise. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the, the throne. So, I do not need to be afraid. Friends, four great promises. If you are in Christ, these are spoken by God to you. And I just, I just lay them out for you this morning and I urge you to pick them up and put them right here. And right here. Listen to these words from John Bunyan, a man who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. At one point, he wrote a letter to a friend, a Christian brother, and he said this, I tell thee, friend, there are some promises that the Lord hath helped me lay hold of that I would not have out of the Bible for as much gold and silver as can lie between York and London piled to the skies. It's about 200 miles from York to London. I googled it. How about you? What would you rather have? A nice house? Fancy stuff? Great health? All of the money that can lie between here and Indianapolis piled to the sky? Or these? Great and precious promises. Christian, do you know how rich you are? Do you realize what a supply of grace has been provided for you, promised to you. So when you face whatever 2020 brings, whether it's dark and confusing or bright and cheery, where will you go? Well, God calls you to come 
and drink deeply and joyfully from the wells of salvation. God has in Christ opened up a source of blessing and unending supply, and I want to live there this year. And I want you to live there this year. God means for us to draw from this well, to drink deeply every day, trusting, actively trusting, drinking, letting the inflow of this good water enlarge our faith and wash away our fear. Well, let me close with this. Uh, There's a little phrase in Psalm 4 that I've always found very intriguing. I read it again this past week. In fact, I'm seeking to memorize this psalm with a friend. Here's the phrase. Ponder in your hearts on your beds. Ponder in your hearts on your beds. What do you ponder when you're lying in bed at night? I know for me, I can ponder all kinds of things, actively, purposefully, kind of pondering things like our family finances. I can turn that over in my mind. Various relational things that I can replay or I can imagine. I can ponder things that I'd like to do in the future, things with my wife and with my children, places I'd like to go and explore. May I suggest that for you and for me, here are some things to ponder. Here are some things to dwell on in your mind. Here are some things to meditate on and think about. God is with me all the time. Ponder that in your heart, on your bed. God is for me all the time. Ponder that in your heart as you drive. God will provide everything I need. Think about that as you make your way through the day. God will sustain me all the way to the end, and all will be well. So, I do not need to be afraid. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. Let's pray together. Father, thank you once again for your word. Pray that you would cause it to go where it needs to go and bear fruit in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name.